This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. My name is Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins on the other side of the interwebs via Zoom chat. And this is Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Talking ducks every week right here. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My friend, yesterday on my radio show, I talked about college and how I, th- I think that most college students pick their major to be something they want to learn and something they want to work in. So like I was a computer science major because I wanted to be a programmer. My sister has taken classes on languages because she wants to be a translator. My fiance took classes on math and science because that was her passion. Now she takes classes on law because she wants to be a lawyer. I don't think college football players are different. And we're, we're hearing rumblings not going to name names, not going to tip any sources, hearing rumblings that some players in the Pac-12 might be thinking about just saying screw it and go to the NFL and think about their career. And I'm just curious what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously we saw UCLA lost an offensive lineman. Uh, You know, here we are on a Wednesday that he basically announced that he was entering the transfer portal and then had later that day announced that – he was going to Baylor. Can't recall his name. I know he's an offensive lineman. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that I, I think there's a couple misconceptions about this. Uh, for starters, let's go with this. There's very limited amounts of room in the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC right now. So it's not just like this free agency where, okay, you know, everybody puts their name in the transfer portal and finds a home on a contender. Uh, in one of those conferences. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Alabama is always flirting with that 85 scholarship limit every year. I mean, you know, Nick Saban has to get incredibly creative, uh, you know, in terms of, of handing out blue shirts, gray shirts, and, and all that he does, getting guys, uh, you know, into that program. Uh, you know, Clemson's, you know, likely in the same boat. Can't say that I've paid close attention, but I'm sure they're close to the same boat. Um, so I think there's a misconception there. Now, I do think there are some one-offs that can do that. You know, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. Uh, you heard uh, Ed Orgeron talking about needing uh, cornerbacks at LSU, of all places, go figure. But he, you know, he suffered some early losses with guys that, which is really surprising because the SEC is playing, but he's lost three or four guys that have said, hey, look, I'm going to for- forego the season and I'm going to train for the NFL um, you know, pretty interesting what that does to a program like LSU, which is playing. So, you know, I guess at this point, Matt, we haven't seen any real rhyme or reason for it. I guess everyone's just making the best decision they think for themselves. Um, as far as, as Oregon and the Pac-12, uh, I do believe that we will more than likely over the next 30 to 60 days see a number of players that are likely 
I would I would have to say probably first two round type projection players that will more than likely skip whatever season they're planning for college football in in the Pac-12. So, mm-hmm. you know, for us talking about Oregon, you're looking at a Panay Sewell and a Javon Holland. You know, what do those guys do? And they have not come out and made any form of an announcement yet on their on their future, on their intent. But I, I certainly sitting here, I certainly think that you know, even if they do get a, even if they do get a season, they're not going to have any sort of a championship to play for. It's really just a mess when it comes to the championships and the bowls and, and kind of what they're doing there. So I think, uh, you know, a Javon Holland and a Panay Sewell, uh, more than likely a couple guys that are, or, or obviously Panay Sewell is a, a top five, top 10 pick and Javon Holland looks to be a first round guy. You know, I think those guys have probably played their last college football game if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't want to tip sources, so I'm not gonna gonna uh, get into the weeds there. But I, I strongly agree with you on uh, on that. It just makes too much sense. I, I was looking at this number as you were talking. This is from Over the Cap, a site that does um, like salary news for the NFL, and they say the salaries or salary range for second-round draft picks in the NFL. That means picks 33 through 64 in a year. Anywhere from $1.5 million a year to 952000 a year. That's crazy money. And that's, that's yeah. not for a first-rounder. That's for a second-rounder. So a guy like Javon Holland, who right now I have him as a round-one grade because I think about the interviews that he's going to ace and I think about his tape and I think about the, the eye popping interception numbers. Um, but he doesn't have the athleticism yet to earn that round one grade from some other folks, a guy like him, even if his floor is say pick 60, he's still going to make 900 grand. I think it's best go prep for the combine. Don't worry about college football, focus on the NFL and focus on your future. Yeah, and and I think to your point, to what you said, yeah, a first of all, you know, go make that money, Javon. I mean, that's that 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 potentially can set you up for life, and that's just you know, you're talking about one year. So if you could do that for three years or four years or 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 you know, who knows, get in the league and make more money, you know, obviously all those things set him up for a very uh, 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 posh lifestyle, if you will. Um, uh, that's that is what I want to say though is that's about the cutoff of where you know anybody that's considering it should be so I guess we'll just kind of speak in particulars on Oregon you've got a guy like CJ Verdell you've got a, a guy like Diamador Lenore you've got a guy like Thomas Graham those are just some examples those guys came back you know to Oregon it was a lot of big decisions Jordan Scott for that matter came back to Oregon and you know, they really needed another year of development. They needed an, another year of tape. They needed another year of competition to, to up their draft stock. I think anybody that's, you know, we'll just say in that third round and, and lower third to seventh rounder, you know, you're coming back because you need it. I mean, you, you really, uh, you really need that your year to up your draft stock. So, but again, that also depends on the season. If they start playing football in March, it's probably not going to work out for them if they start playing football in January. Uh, I think you got a viable chance there. So, you know, in terms of that, I think a lot of a lot of fans think, oh, everybody that's got a shot in the NFL should take off 
and go ahead and start training. I don't think that's the case. I just think those top top tier guys, and in the in the case of Oregon, that's Javon Holland and Panay Sewell. You know, those guys should go ahead and and make the jump and start getting ready. After that, those guys really need another year of football, whatever that year looks like. Now, one last question on this topic: um, When the Pac-12 came to their decision, one of the first people I thought of. Seems a little counterintuitive because he never played in the Pac-12, but I thought about Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow was a projected fourth rounder in mocks heading into last season, and then he wows everybody, deservedly so, wins the Heisman, wins a national title, and he's a consensus slam dunk number one overall pick. Do the Ducks have a player like that who, who right now – he might have a fourth-round grade, might have a low grade, but if they have one more year, a guy you think might climb? Uh, not like that. I mean, the only way you're doing that uh, is if you're just absolutely elite, which nobody could predict what Joe Burrow was going to do. Great quarterback. Um, you know, I think he had a really strong system around him. I think that's well noted. Obviously, he had NFL-caliber wide receivers there to take advantage of and a hell of a football team. He had a good offensive line. He had good running backs. Uh, he was surrounded by good players. I think in order to make that kind of jump, you've got to be a quarterback or an elite corner or an elite left tackle. You're you're pretty position position specific in order to make that level of a jump. And you know, right now the known commodity for someone that has that type of potential is Panay Sewell. I mean, he's really the only guy on Oregon that has that type of ability. And you know, in a perfect world, had had we played a fall season here and been playing, Panay Sewell may have played his way into the surefire, no-brainer, number one overall pick. He's still being considered for that number one overall pick right now. I've mm. seen him, you know, hovering around, like, say, num- you know, t- number one to number 10. He seems to just kind of fall into that category in a number of places. But I think he had the potential this year to play into the surefire number one pick, similar to Joe Burrow. Obviously, a more known commodity than Burrow was entering the season, but he had that type. Other than that, I mean, if you're looking at Oregon, you'd have to look at the quarterback position to make that kind of leap. And you know, I don't as as much as I, I like Anthony Brown as a graduate transfer coming in for Oregon, he doesn't have that type of potential. I don't see. And and, and Tyler Shuck's still a year away, at least from from gaining eligibility. So, um, you know, I know we're just talking about Oregon. There's other schools, but for right now, at least related to Oregon, that's how I see it shaping up. Uh, that's a really good way to, for us to transition. I noticed on Scoop Duck the other day, uh, people were asking you about Devin Williams, and you started talking about some of the insights you've heard from practice. I'll ask you about Williams in a minute, but how did you feel about what you were hearing about Anthony Brown? Um, I guess if we're speaking in pure terms of, of uh, playability, you know, I think there's a player there. I think, uh, you know, I think there's a ceiling to be had by Anthony Brown. If anybody expects him to come in and have, you know, a Joe Burrow season or, or, or salvage the year for the Ducks, you know, I just don't see him being a, a takeover kind of guy. Can he be a good system quarterback in a, in a very good Joe Moorhead system? Definitely. I think that's very plausible. And again, we're just assuming that maybe something's happened to Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown's been thrust into uh, the starting role. Uh, it, you know, if not, uh, I, I think he'd be good. I, I think Oregon had to go and get him because right now the depth behind those two in particular is 
wildly unproven. And, it, you know, again, if you're back in perfect season, you know, vying for a championship, you don't want to get into November, have your starting quarterback go down and see the season derailed you know, at that point, because you don't have a quarterback back there that can uh, run your offense. So, uh, you know, Anthony Brown, everything I, I've heard from him from a, a personality standpoint, from a work ethic standpoint, from a fit with the team have all been aces, all diamonds. I mean, everybody speaks very positively about him, about his work ethic, you know, about what he's doing, about the fact that he's come in and not been, you know, acting like, hey, that's I'm get I'm the starting guy. You know, I transferred in. I've played blah 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 games. Tyler Shuck hasn't played any. None of that kind of attitude. Just a hey, let's get in here and let's make this team better and let's let's try and win as many games as we can. So I, I think the feedback on him has been tremendous. But in terms of just pure potential, there's a ceiling to be had there. There there's a good quarterback, you know, in there, and there's there's a guy that can lead this team and help put points on the board. But if you're looking for a Heisman candidate, you know, you've kind of overshot your expectations there. So hypothetical then, let's say you get football in January or worst case scenario, you have to wait a little bit longer. Is is he the number two guy? Uh, I mean, I mean, who knows at this point, everything I've heard leading up to the season right now, the spring practices and then the, uh, you know, the voluntary workouts. I mean, it's, it's Tyler Shuck's team. I don't think anybody doubts that. I don't think anybody disputes that. And it really, as much as it helps Mario Cristobal having two guys there pushing each other, making each other better, it doesn't help the team if you've got a quarterback controversy. So I think he's really done a good job of trying to, you know, trying to create, uh, you know, trying to create kind of a competition there, but also, you know, giving Tyler Shuck the benefit of the doubt and saying, basically, this is your job to lose. Don't screw it up. So, um, you know, I, I think that's where we're at. I think Tyler Shuck's the starter, uh, you know, barring injury. I'm sure whatever training camp they enter, whenever that is, Tyler Shuck's going to have a leg up on that competition. And ultimately, Anthony Brown's going to have to do something pretty spectacular to overtake him and earn it, which doesn't mean he's not valuable to this team. If he's out there pushing Tyler Shuck every day, Tyler Shuck only gets better. The football team only gets better. So it's, it's got its purpose. It might not show up, you know, in stats and snap count when the season, when the season comes around. But um, I do think Oregon's in a pretty good position there with, with both quarterbacks, but I do think Tyler Shuck's the guy. Now, late August is the annual time for one of my favorite football traditions. It's not just the Ducks, it's any team, college football, pro football, anybody, you have a new player on the team, you have all this hype that surrounds the new guy, maybe it's because he wears a new jersey, maybe it's because he just looks different, and maybe it's because you don't have any tape to, to weigh him on, right? You don't have any bad plays to critique him on, so everybody just assumes newcomers are all going to be superstars, like... Raider fans, my beloved Silver and Black, we're doing this right now with like five different wideouts. Um, on Scoop Duck, I, I noticed a couple commenters ask you about Devin Williams because you can see that Devin Williams hype train starting to catch gear. What are you hearing about Devin Williams? You know, I, I, uh, I, I think the expectations for Devin Williams – uh, and his arrival were a bit inflated, and, and I, I actually shoulder some of the blame for that. Um, you know, I, I do I do feel that he's a tremendous player, tremendous athlete. I think his absolute I think his upside is absolutely incredible. I, I think his potential to be a 
a tremendous college receiver is there. But, you know, sometimes these guys get in and, you know, let's just use the history of Devin Williams, for example, already. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody felt was a strong lean to Oregon and then kind of pulled the USC at the last minute there. I think that's pretty well documented by everybody that that is what happened. Uh-huh. Uh, gets to USC, uh, you know, basically becomes a free agent shortly after that arrival. Uh, you know, uh, visit to Oregon State. Everybody assumes he's a beaver. We've got Oregon State putting him on their on their roster, all this kind of stuff, and then ends up a duck. So, you know, to, to say that there hasn't been some uncertainty surrounding him isn't fair. You know, he's kind of bounced around a little bit. And, and when you start to look at that, the reason I bring it up, you, you start to look at some of that. And, you know, those are those are character type of things. And it doesn't make him a bad person at all. I just I think David Williams is somebody that doesn't have very good uh, supervision, doesn't have very good support group around him. And I'm talking about, you know, parents and, and, and godparents and those types of things. You know, I think he's one of those young men that's had to come up through a pretty hard school of life, you know, and I and I don't take that lightly. But we see that translate onto the football field. And where I'm going with this is I, I think he struggled with you know, some of the mentality of, of the grind of putting in that lonely work of, of really, you know, doing that extra step to become uh, an elite player, at least to this point, doesn't mean he can't be, doesn't mean he won't be. But, um, you know, I, I think you look at a guy like Devin Williams and maybe his situation and some of the things, but then you look at a guy like Micah Pittman who, you know, tweets all about football. You can tell he's only got one year and I'm not saying Devin Williams doesn't do that. But I don't think he's at that level, and I and I think in order to to be a guy, uh, the 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 margin for error to become a, a a college football player to becoming a really good college football player is slim, and then that margin of error becoming a really good college football player to becoming an NFL player is even slimmer. And and what it takes is that extra work and that dedication. Um, and right now I just, I think there might be some focus things going on with Devin Williams. And I just think right now it's time to pump the brakes a little bit, at least on my own expectations of Devin Williams and say, Hey, look, this kid's still trying to mature and figure some things out. And maybe he's not quite ready yet, but, uh, you know, sometimes it takes figuring that out to kind of take the next step. And I, and I do think that that's where he's at. That fires up my mind a little bit. Cause I think about the perception, say 10 years ago of duck football. You have Chip Kelly, and he has this, at the time, we all thought it was a strict uh, regimen on what players were going to eat, how they were going to work out, uh, what their lives in the facility and out of the facility were going to be like, you know, down to a T, really robotic itineraries almost. And you talk about the grind that's necessary, not just to be a great player, but frankly, to be an Oregon player in 2020. I think about the things that Coach Feld does in the strength program and the mentality that we see from Mario Cristobal, the intensity that we know he's got. I'm curious, do you see any similarities between the way Chip ran the Ducks a decade ago and the way Mario and company do now? Yeah, I suppose there's some similarities there. I think the one underlying thing that I take away from both of those and for them to do, you know, kind of what we're seeing, at least at least what's happening under Mario Cristobal right now is 
is culture. You have to have a culture in place. And I, and I say, and I don't say that lightly right now because, you know, at this point, everything's voluntary. Everything's been voluntary for the past month or two. Uh, so if your guys are showing up and working out, uh, it's cause they want to, it's cause they know what it takes to win. It's what it's because they want to get better and they want to be, uh, you know, they want to be the best team in the conference or in the country or whatever the case might be. And if you, if, if you don't have that, you can't, you can't fake it. You know, obviously no coaches can go out there and force their guys to, to practice right now or work out. And so, you know, I bring that around to maybe a, a guy like Devin Williams, you know, and just for example, you know, potentially, you know, if, if there's five workouts in a week, are you making all five, you know, or are you, are you making four? Are you making three? Are you making all five, but are you going a hundred percent the entire time? Or are you going 60% half the time? I mean, what, what, what is the culture? Because, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the coaches can't be out there right now. So it's all on the players. Uh, the, the coaches have a pretty limited window of what they can, what they can watch at the practice or what they, what they were able to watch when there was practice. So ultimately it's up to the players and what culture are they allowing? Are they allowing guys to take plays off? Are they allowing guys to take reps off? Are they allowing guys to miss practices? Um, and, and that's a hundred percent a culture thing. And I, I do think that at the height, at the strength of Chip Kelly's football run at Oregon, at the very least, he had a strong culture in place. You had, you had some guys that were upperclassmen that led the team that didn't allow uh, you know, BS didn't allow partying, didn't allow guys to show up at Taylor's, uh, you know, at, at, at midnight, two o'clock on a Saturday night. Um, were there some one-offs? Yeah. You can't, you got a team of a hundred plus players. Sure. Somebody's going to break the rules or bend the rules, but ultimately chip ran a pretty solid program, uh, in his ten- tenure at Oregon. And I think even though in that particular run, one of his best leaders was Marcus Mariota, you know, Mariota was quiet. Obviously, we know that well documented. He's not a big speaker, but he led by example. And a lot of his guys respected the fact that he was out there all the time, always trying to get better, always trying to make the team better uh, and, and set a really good example for his team. So, you know, again, there are those vocal leaders and they have a place in college football. Uh, but there's also those guys like Marcus Mariota that can lead by example um, and bring the, the, the level of your culture up with them. Um, you know, I, I think Mario Cristobal has done a good job of building a strong culture of guys and making sure that that's a key part of this football team, uh, you know, with the leadership council and other things that he's established. But I do think at the height of, of Chip Kelly at Oregon, uh, culture was a very big thing that he had, he had set and established very positively at Oregon as well. So let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, the big headline yesterday was – the University of Alabama had more positive cases in the past week for COVID-19 than the nation of Canada. That blew me away. Canada has more people than the University of Alabama, by the way, just in case anybody doesn't know that. What do you think about that story? Um, as much as you, you know, pop your eyes at it, as much as you might, you know, take a gasp of breath at it, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. You get a bunch of 17, 18-year-old, 20-year-old, whatever, together, college kids, get them back, let them back on campus. What's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to freaking party. I mean, let's not be stupid. You know, and and whatever side of the fence you're on on COVID, it's it's deadly. It's not deadly. It's it's deadly to to older people with underlying conditions. You know, younger people are fairly immune to it. I, I mean, 
when you're 20 years old, you feel invincible. I mean, I, for the, you, you just do. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to get the flu. Uh, I can drink as much as I want. I'm not going to have a hangover. Uh, I can jump off this rock into the into the river, and I, I'm going to be just fine. You're freaking invincible, okay? You can do stuff, and you don't get hurt. And if you, you know, if you, if 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 your college that you follow, or if you're watching from afar, and you see a college that opened up its campus. I don't care if it's the size of Alabama. I don't care if it's smaller, bigger, whatever. All those kids are going to get together and freaking party. That's what they're going to do. It's summertime. They're going to get together. You could yell at them until you're blue in the face. And the only real way, you know, to keep those uh, individuals, to keep that group from, from doing that is obviously not letting them get together. So uh, if you're surprised at the numbers, uh, you know, I've got some beachfront property in Arizona to sell you. Um <laughs> It, it, it is what it is. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, we're all, I guess that's the biggest thing I keep taking away. We're all going through this thing together. And so, you know, all the talking heads that have, you know, the best analysis and have the best data and the best research, they're still trying to guess at what's going to happen. Nobody knows long-term effects, let alone the short-term effects really of COVID-19. And, you know, to sit here and try to tell a bunch of 20 somethings or 19 somethings, Hey, don't do this. We don't think it's good. They're going to say, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm invincible. So I think it's just, I mean, I, I, I will say this, you know, one of the things that it really emphasizes to me is that obviously COVID can spread very quickly. We know that we know COVID, that, that it just provides proof to that, that non-controlled unchecked COVID can spread quickly how deadly it is, or if it's, you know, if, if you're asymptomatic or whatever, that's a whole different discussion that I don't care to get into. But I will say this, when done properly, which we did see a lot of uh, college football teams able to do when, and we've seen the NBA uh, be able to do when in a bubble or when controlled, you can keep the outbreak minimal at best. I mean, we're talking about the University of Oregon did football for several months, workouts, all that kind of stuff. Young men getting together, not always wearing masks. Okay. Tested them weekly. You, you probably, I'm just going to wager that the university of Oregon in that stretch did over 500 tests on the college football players, on the college athletes. And as far as football is con concerned under that time frame, nobody tested positive for COVID. So it tells me that you can control it if done the right way. But if you're counting on a bunch of 19 year olds, to be responsible and wear masks and not get together and not spread it. Clearly that's not going to be the case. So I'm not arguing either direction here. I'm not, I'm just kind of looking at what we know, what you and I know and what we're talking about. And you know, I know we're going to get to it, but it, it really, to me, I think the university of Oregon, as they announced earlier, had no choice but to limit or eliminate uh, on campus teaching at least at this point in time. Right, right. I think that's the the logical reaction to that headline from a lot of people is, well, clearly we need to evaluate you know our, our plans here. And then the Notre Dame story from last week. I think we talked about that on the pod. The uh, story in North Carolina, same deal. They tried in-person classes. They tried having students in the dorms. And college students were college students, and college students got COVID, and then they uh, tried something else. Do you think that that Alabama story, the over 500 positive cases in the past week of, of students and faculty on campus, do you think that makes them reconsider football this fall? Uh, that's a million-dollar question. I mean, right now, I think the hottest topic is this. It's not... 
you know, that, that brings up the hottest topic right now. Did the Pac-12 get it right by postponing? Did they do it too early? Should they have pressed on like the SEC and ACC and Big 12 have done? Um, you know, that's really the debate right now that I see, at least on the Scoop Duck message board. And I'm sure it's taking place at the Washington message board and the USC message board and the UCLA message board, uh, at least for the four of those that talk about UCLA football. Um, you know, there's that question. And I think I said this before and I said this initially and I still stand by it. If you're Michael Schill, you know, the president of University of Oregon uh, and if you're Rob Mullins, you know, obviously the athletic director, you are not 25 year old, 25 year old guys, you know, basically making your first stop at those positions. You have worked for 20 to 30 years to get in those positions that you're in. And to get there and make a miscalculated decision would absolutely torpedo your career. And I, I, I fully understand why those guys are what I call playing it safe. They're playing it safe by saying, hey, look, right now, I just don't feel comfortable bringing students back to campus. We're not going to do it. And, you know, if you're Rob Mullins, you're basically saying, hey, look, I don't feel comfortable putting our football players, student athletes into competition and sending them, you know, on planes to here and there and, and playing against other teams and, and, and jeopardizing their health. I'm not going to do it. And you really start to understand why uh, those guys made the decisions they did. However, okay, we talked about this a little bit. Football in the SEC and the ACC is an entirely different way of life down there different than we can comprehend unless somebody's listening to this and they live down there they get it if you're sitting over here and you're in and you're in portland you're in california you know if you're in arizona you sit there and say yeah i know they love their football no you don't understand they love their football and i i think the difference is this um i think there is i don't want to call it a double standard but i do think there's two sets of standards here if the sac moves on and they play football and a few kids get sick along the way they're going to say, hey, I consider this a success. We still had football, and only a couple people got sick. Okay, I think out west, if you continue on and you play football and one kid gets sick, there's outrage. And I'm not saying that it's wrong or it's right. I mean, that's not what I'm saying at all. But if you think that I'm being unreal in what I'm saying, you need to go and take a good hard look because I think it's fairly accurate. You know, If there's even one case and somebody that gets mildly sick in the Pac-12 footprint, you know, a kid at, at Cal gets sick. You're going to have people up in arms in several media outlets. You're going to have all the talking heads up in arms. I think, and I'll just say this right now, I think 10 to 20 kids could get sick on a single team on Alabama, and Paul Feinbaum would say, none of them got really sick. They're okay. We're moving on. It was a good call by the SEC. And that's the difference. That's the difference in why it's allowed down there and why it's not allowed out here. Again, I'm not saying it's right. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just simply looking at it and giving my opinion on why some of these decisions have been made and why they've been made. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll put a pin in that. Talk about it on the next pod. Just see what happens to it. Um, well, yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't get too far into that one because people are going to unsubscribe and start and start canceling on us. Right. Right. Well. <laughs> well, no. I mean, that's a real thing. You know, I, I've seen it firsthand on your boards. You get people that. Are, are one side or the other, and I'm on one of those sides, so I, I, I'm speaking from my own experience. Um, but uh, I also know that if we talk too much about this, there's going to be, like, breaking news in an hour, and we're going to be completely <laughs> stale. 
Always oh, yeah. works. Then that, yeah, then all of a sudden the SEC shuts down football. It's like, oh, crap. You guys <laughs> killing me. Didn't we? And I don't I, I don't think they will. I don't think they will until they get a really serious run or a serious outbreak. Now, you know, to, to cap that, you know, on, on Monday, what's today? Wednesday. So on Tuesday, excuse me, you know, Oklahoma basically reporting that, hey, you know, uh, the Sooners had to shut down an entire position group because of, right. they didn't want to name which one. But they're still moving on. You didn't hear them say we're canceling, we're done. Like, nope, we're going to move on. They're kind of operating on that mantra. And and I know, you know, I know I, I took a little bit of flack on this. I know I said basically that they had just hosted a recruiting weekend. Like, oh, well, Lincoln Riley didn't host it. Well, I mean, you're telling me, you know, a dozen top flight recruits showed up and Lincoln Riley had nothing to do with it and didn't know anything about it. Yeah, maybe he wasn't there. Maybe they just casually bumped into each other, whatever the case might be. But he full well knew who was coming, when they were coming, when they were arriving, where they were, and what was going on. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think, it, it, again, Oregon hasn't recru- hasn't hosted anybody for visitors uh, in the past couple months. And I, and I do think that that was a major reason why. They didn't want to possibly jeopardize their own players and possibly jeopardize those families. Because, obviously, if Oregon, let's just say, for example, had hosted – Bryce Foster in the last 30 days and had a major outbreak of COVID cases. Mm-hmm. I can tell you right now, they ain't getting Bryce Foster when it comes to national signing day after that. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think there's some calculated moves to be had here and, 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 and right now, you know, playing it safe might not be the worst thing. Who knows? Right. I said it this way on my show last night. I, I think about the parents of players that we've had the privilege to interview on this podcast over the years. Um, think about Jonah Tawanu's mom as kind of the great example, just because I, I just loved her personality and I loved her mindset. Um, think about, um, you know, Keon Ware Hudson, uh, his, his father. Think about um, the parents who, for these elite athletes, it's not that they're helicopter parents. It's not that they're, you know, leaning their child into what they want, but it's that they're helping their child filter all the junk you got to filter, all the phone calls from coaches, all the people that want a piece of you, all the mail that just swamps your house, right? And I think about the, the common thread all of those parents that we've talked to in the past have in common when we ask them why Oregon they all talk about how they think coach Cristobal cares about them and if you take the season off maybe you take a hit in the short term and the SEC points their finger and says oh look at that wuss in the Pacific Northwest and you know Oklahoma can say hey we're soldiering on unlike Oregon and 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 take a jab at Oregon i think in the long term the parents and the families that Mario Cristobal wants to be involved in his program are going to see him for who he is and what he's doing and they're going to stick with him yeah i mean i think that's the thing at the end of the day uh i, 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 I I will say this, and I think it lends merit to what I said just a moment ago. I think if Mario Cristobal was at Alabama still, he'd be pressing on and hosting kids on campus and moving forward because he could get away with it there. Okay. You know what I mean? You, you, know what I, you can. I, I mean, I'm not just – you can. I think you can host kids. Nobody cares. It's football. we got to play football at all costs. That's just the mentality of a lot of folks down there. Not everybody, but a lot of folks down there. He's playing – 
you know, to his audience at Oregon. You can't do that at Oregon. You cannot, you, you know, you can't go and say, hey, look, we're going to press on. It's, it's, if anybody gets sick, don't worry about it. It's cool. He's understanding that around him are a lot of folks that are concerned about it. He's understanding that it is a very sensitive matter. He's understanding that he can't operate that way at Oregon, that he, mu- that he might potentially operate at Alabama. Now, he wasn't the head coach at Alabama, so he's not shouldering the blame like he will at Oregon, you know, being as the head coach. Right. But I do think there's something to be said about Mario Cristobal recognizing that he's at Oregon and that he can't move forward in the same fashion that he might potentially might move forward at Alabama. And, and I, and I just think that it, once again, it, it solidifies what we know about him, that he, that he's paying attention, that he's, he's being intuitive to what's going on around him. He's adapting. Um, and it doesn't make him wishy-washy in any way. I just think that that's what you have to do if you want to develop that trust that you need from not only recruits, but from their parents, from their coaches, from all those people, you know, understanding that you're aware of the surroundings, you know, going on around you and, and, and what you need to do and how you need to operate. I think, I think Mario Cristobal continues to uh, really show that he has a, a firm grasp on, on being a head coach. Okay. One more topic today, basketball. You have have preached about this for about a month, how you prefer, if college football has to move, that they play in January instead of March. If they play in January, if they play college football in January, do you think that has any impact on college basketball season? You know, I, I think we're, you know, I, I, I wish I knew the exact time. I, I should pay a little better attention to all the timelines of basketball, but give or take, you know, those guys would have started practicing, I think around early October, mm-hmm. you know, to mid October, kind right. of getting ready for the season. Uh, you know, you start doing your little training camp there and, and, and picking up the workloads. Uh, so at this point, I've got to believe that basketball sees at, at best a shortened season and probably I'm going to guess at least 30 days delayed. So potentially those guys, because here's what I see on the table. I think for football, I think you're seeing them basically sometime around early to mid-December making all the decisions about if they'll play in January. And then ultimately that gives them a few weeks to prepare and hit the ground running in, say, late December, early January for you to start playing right at the beginning of February. I think that's the only way this works. I think that's the only way this works for football. So if we copy that timeline and punch it into basketball, you know, you start saying, okay, basketball, you guys, and and here's the deal. Basketball might get a little bit more leeway because there's obviously less players. You definitely can control the environment much easier than you can with football. Um, You can control the contact much better. Um, They're going to get a little bit more leeway, I would imagine. But if you could say, hey, okay, basketball, you guys – you know, you guys can get a start in mid-December and we can have you guys up and running by mid-January. I think that's feasible. And then basketball ultimately could, you know, we're talking about March Madness. If you push, push, pushed, excuse me, pushed March Madness back uh, a couple weeks, two, three, four weeks at that point, I think you have 75% of a season, but maybe a little bit more compacted. I, I think that's plausible. Um does that make it a spring season? I don't know. Not really in my mind. It means it pushes it back, you know, two weeks to four weeks. But, um, again, I guess we'll just have to see. 
I, I guess nothing, nothing matters. Nothing matters about what I say. Nothing matters what I think until we start seeing cases come down. I mean, yeah. that's just the long and the short of it. And, you know, I don't know, you know, down here in Jackson County, we're seeing the cases go up. Uh, not many deaths, but we are seeing the number of cases reported going up and they have gone up over the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's kind of a consensus in a lot of areas. So until, you know, we see those numbers and it, and again, I don't even think it means, I don't think these schools are going to look at deaths nearly as much as they're going to look at the numbers. If the numbers aren't stabilizing or going down, you know, I don't think anybody's doing much anything at that point. Right. Right. No, I, I see it every day. I, I tell people that I get the press releases, uh, on the county level and the press releases at the state level. And, and, uh, I, I know those numbers are pretty concerning. Uh, he's Justin Hopkins. This is scoop duck and hi-fi before I sign off. Is there anything else you want to talk about this week? No, no. I mean, uh, for those that are listening, I know, you know, some of you might not be scoop duck, uh, subscribers and that's great. We want to extend our reach, but for those of you that are appreciate your patience and the support that you guys offer us, I know the podcasts are free, but, um, you know, it's a way for us to help us grow, uh, you know, that site, which ultimately, you know, kind of keeps the podcast going. Everything's kind of hand in hand, but, uh, I know it's only 10 bucks a month, but, uh, you know, I appreciate everybody hanging out. Uh, we've had a pretty good stretch of six months or so without any live sports. Um, and I think we've done a pretty good job and, and we'll just kind of keep it going and, shoot i mean hopefully sooner than later we'll see some uh we'll see some football i'm i'm hopeful like I'll, i should say i should clarify we'll see some football in the pack 12 yeah and in eugene hopefully sooner yeah. than later yeah i can't wait for some uh, some football but some pack 12 football that's that's got me really chomping at the bit justin hopkins with me scoop duck and high five my name's matt bagley you can find us on any podcast app just look for scoop duck and high five and if you can't find us tell us scoopduck.com leave us a comment on the pod reach out to me on twitter at bagley sports or justin at j hopkins sd let us know tell us where you need this pod we'll put it up there we'll get it there we'll take care of it thanks for listening everybody and we'll be back next week go ducks i can do this now.